It was just another regular, normal, boring day of high school when all of a sudden I looked up and there she was. And time stopped. Everything was in slow motion. A ray of light shot down from the ceiling and surrounded her. I heard cheesy love songs playing in the background. And I knew that my encountering of this girl would change my life forever. And sure enough, almost 25 years later, I can say with certainty that I was right, and it continues to. My encounter with Leanne uh, changed and continues to change my life for the good, for the good. Well, thank you. That was unexpected, right? Not our anniversary yet. It's coming up. But uh, now, think about you. What, what about your encounter with that special someone? Think back to when you saw him or her, and you probably had a similar experience where you just you weren't prepared at all for the impact that you were going to have, or that uh, that they were going to have on you, that your life was going to change the way it did. You know, you 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 saw fireworks, you felt the fireworks, and you knew there was just something different about this encounter that you were never going to be the same ever again. Um, and there's some encounters that we would like to forget, right? That they, they have impacted us significantly doesn't mean for the good, but you know we're used to that all through life. We encounter people, we encounter situations and scenarios that after those moments, we're not the same ever again. This series that we're starting, that will go all summer long, we're going to be looking at and talking about those kinds of encounters, significant encounters, life-changing encounters. And these encounters are going to center around the person of the Lord Jesus. And these encounters are, are varied. Uh, they are encounters that, that covered different periods of time throughout his earthly ministry, different categories of people that he encountered. We're going to be looking at uh, several of those throughout this series. We're starting today by looking at the encounters that Jesus had, personal encounters one-on-one with those he called to himself for specific ministry, for the apostolic ministry as he called the disciples to himself, and what those encounters were like, and what was said, and how that changed those men's lives forever. We're going to be talking about those that society considered sinners and how those encounters played out. And we're going to be looking at those that society considered to be uh, the righteous, the the really uber-righteous and religious, and the rich. And then we'll end this series by looking at Jesus' encounters with the broken. With the broken. So that's where we're headed. I think it'll be a great summer study for us. I'm looking forward to diving into that with you. Today, as we we start uh, this series, we're going to be looking at that first category, the called. And to start that category off, we're going to be looking at the encounter that Jesus had with two brothers, Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter. So to begin with, we're going to look at Andrew's encounter because, well, he came first. 
And that encounter is found in John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 32 uh, because there's some important backstory that sets up Andrew's encounter with Jesus. And so if we, we skip ahead, we'll lose a little bit. So we're going to start a little bit ahead of his encounter with Jesus at verse 32. So John 1, 32, I hope you will follow along with me as I read. I'll be reading from the CSB, and so you follow along in your copy of God's Word. John 1, starting in verse 32. God's Word says this, John testified, this is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. And I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So that's John the Baptist's testimony. That's what he saw as he baptized Jesus, his cousin, as Jesus told him to, to let it happen to fulfill all righteousness. Sure enough, he saw, as promised, the Holy Spirit descending in a visible form, recognizing Jesus, showing him that he was the Messiah. And then verse 35, here's what happens. The next day, so, so that happened. And John tells his disciples and all who would listen about it. And then the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So, I mean, you see the scene, don't you? He's there with with his disciples. And there's two in in particular that he he grabs. And he says, Hey, hey, look, look, there he is. Jesus is passing by. Not by by coincidence or accident, but by deliberate purpose. He's passing by. And John says, look, there he is. There's the Lamb of God. Looking all the way back to the Old Testament sacrificial system and the promised sacrifice that would fulfill and complete all sacrifices. He says, there he is. There's the Lamb of God. In verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. So they heard their teacher, their rabbi, say, there's the one you should be looking to. There's the one you should be following. There's the one you should be embracing. He's the Lamb of God. And so, I mean, they just they look at Him, they hear that, and they go and they follow Jesus. It all happens very quickly. And verse 38, When Jesus turned and noticed them following Him, He asked them, What are you looking for? That, that is a very, very important question, don't you think? It's a really important question that, that we all have to answer. What is it you're searching for in life? What are you looking for in your life to fulfill you? What are you looking for to find purpose? What are you looking for to find meaning? What is it that you're, you're recognizing is missing in your life? You've got this emptiness, this, this vacant spot in you. What are you looking for to fill it? What is it you're looking for? Very, very important question. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So they answered his question with a question. 
And it was another important question. And here's what they were really asking by saying that. They, they weren't just wondering where he was physically staying, like, hey, so uh, what kind of house are you in? That, that wasn't it. Where, where do you sleep at night? It was so much more than that. What they were asking by this question, where are you staying? They were asking, who are you really? Who are you really? What are you about? What is it that you're doing? What, what sets you apart? What are you doing that's so special? And, and what is so special about you? And I love the Lord's response. Verse 39. Come and you'll see. Or other translations just say simply, come and see. Come and see, he replied. This was an invitation of Jesus to these former disciples of John at this point now to come and know him. Come in and know him. Go further up and further in. Come and find in me what you're looking for. Come and and listen to me, hear me, let me impact your life, and you will find what you're looking for. You'll find what you're seeking. What is it that sets me apart? What is it that I'm doing? What is it that I'm all about? Come and find out. See for yourself. It's something you've got to experience personally. You can't just be told about it. That's what Jesus was saying here. Come and experience it to the fullest for yourself. John can't tell you all about it. John can't do it for you. Nobody else can. Come with me, experience me, and you'll see. You'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. So one of these two that witnessed all this was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The other was probably John, the Apostle John, uh, who is penning this gospel. So he was one of the, the two that heard him, and, and he went, and he, he goes, and he stays where Jesus is, and he hears him, and he listens to him. In verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So it, it didn't take him long, did it? I mean, he hears from John, his, his teacher, John the Baptist, look, there's the Lamb of God. He follows him. Jesus says, what is it you're, you're seeking? What are you looking for? He, that, that whole dialogue happens. He goes where Jesus is. He spends time with Jesus. He listens to Jesus. And he is never the same again. And he is so impacted and so sure in just a little bit amount of time that he has found the promised one, the Messiah, that he and all of Israel had been looking for, that he can't wait any longer. He immediately goes to his brother, Simon Peter, and he tells him, rough, ragged, fisherman Simon, he tells him, we found the Messiah. We found him. And he kind of does the same thing. Come and see. Come and see. Verse 42, after he goes and he tells Simon, we found the Messiah, look at what happens. Look at what he does. He doesn't just talk about it. He does something about it. Verse 42, and he brought Simon to Jesus. Andrew doesn't have a lot said about him in, in the Gospels, but when you see him, he's always doing this. 
he's bringing to Jesus. He brings Peter to Jesus, Simon Peter, his brother, and later on, he's bringing the boy with with a small little insignificant lunch to Jesus for Jesus to make something significant out of the insignificant. That's what he does. That's what Andrew's claim to fame is. He's a bringer. And he brings Simon to Jesus. Let's look at this. This is the the first part of the encounter that Peter has with Jesus. There's, There's two significant encounters. This is the first one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. I don't think Andrew told Jesus about him. Do you? I don't think he said, hey, I have a brother I want you to meet. I mean, it's possible, but I don't think so. I think Jesus just looked right at him and said, I know you. You're Simon, son of John. And Simon, Simon means to hear or listen. And deeper than that, it means to understand and to respond. That's what Simon's name means. To hear or to listen, to understand and respond. So he says to him, you're Simon. You, you're one who, who listens. You, you hear. You understand. You comprehend. And you respond. Then look at what happens. There's a name change here. You will be called Kephas. That's Greek for Peter. Stone. Rock. You will be called Kephas, which is translated, Peter, literally, rock or stone. So, Really, that is because of what Andrew did. Because Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, because he is one who will hear and respond, not perfectly by any means, but he will respond. I mean, Peter is nothing if not ready to respond, right? All throughout his his life and his character, that's what we see. So because he is brought to Jesus, because he does hear Jesus, he listens, he comprehends, and he responds, that will make him a rock. That will make him a rock. It's nothing else. It's all about his time with Jesus, hearing from Jesus, learning from Jesus, responding to Jesus. That's what does eventually, definitely, make Peter a stone, a rock. So he says, I'm going to go ahead and, and give you a name change here. Kephas. Not just Simon. Kephas. Rock. Stone. So that's the first encounter with Peter, and that was the encounter with Andrew. And these encounters, they, they teach us some really profound things. They show us some very, very significant things that were true of the initial encounter but what should also be true of us, what, what does mark us as we also encounter Jesus. And the first thing that these encounters show us, the first thing that Andrew's encounter shows us and teaches us and challenges us with is this. Jesus calls us to come and see, then He calls us to go and bring. That's what Jesus does. Just as He did with Andrew. Andrew encounters him. He tells him, come and see. Come and see in me everything you need and you're looking for. Then go 
and bring others to me, that they can do the same thing, that they might find in me what you found, that they may encounter me and never be the same like you have encountered me and like you are never going to be the same. So for us, believer, that's what happens to us too. If you're a believer in Christ today, you've been called to come and see, you've seen, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, right? Amen? So you're not supposed to just sit on what you've seen. You're supposed to go and bring others to Him that they might find in Him what you have found. Isn't that glorious? What happens? The way Jesus does that? The way He works that out? That's what we see in this first initial experience. That was Andrew's experience. We saw that in verses 39-42. through But it's by no means limited to Andrew. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. Summarizing here, he says that we have been reconciled to God through Christ. Then, then we're given the ministry of reconciliation. Did, did you hear me on that? Once you've been reconciled, then you're given the ministry of reconciliation. And Paul says there that it is as if Christ is pleading through us and we are pleading on Christ's behalf, hey, be reconciled to God. I have. I've come to Jesus. I've been reconciled. Now you come and be reconciled also. And Paul ends in that that great passage, 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. What an incredible Incredible reality. What an incredible thought. So, by no means is Andrew's experience about coming and seeing and then going and bringing limited to him. It's, it's what's true, what should be true for all of us. Listen, every Peter needs an Andrew. Every Peter needs an Andrew. Who was the Andrew that Jesus used to bring you to him? Think about that. Think about that person or that a group of people that Jesus used to bring you to Him. I mean, thank God for them, right? Whoever those were, thank God for, for that Andrew in your life that brought you to Jesus that said, come and see what I have found. Thank God for them. But, but don't just thank God for them. Follow their example. Do for someone else what someone did for you. Every one of us, every one of us, Christian, needs to be an Andrew for someone else. So who are you being an Andrew to and for? The other thing that's really significant about this initial encounter with Andrew and with with Peter, and specifically with Peter, is that Jesus sees beyond what we are to what we will become. Jesus sees beyond what we are to what we will become. Isn't that a glorious thought? We see that at the the last part of verse 42 when Andrew brings Peter to Jesus and he says, you're Simon, but you're going to be stone. You're going to be rock. I'm looking beyond what you are right now. I'm looking past all your rough edges. I'm looking at what I'm going to make you, Simon. And I'm going to make you into a rock for me. See, Jesus sees beyond what we are right now to what we will become. And He sees what He will make us. And that's key. It's not like what we suddenly make ourselves or what we're able to do for ourselves. No, we're, we're always, 
always in ourselves, weak and hopeless and helpless outside of Christ. But with Him and through Him, oh, (laughs) what Jesus makes, what Jesus does, what Jesus takes with an ordinary life and what He makes from it, that's, that's your story if you're in Him. That's my story as well. You know, we sang, I love to tell the story. Our story, Christian, is a story of miraculous life change that only comes from who we came to. It's the only reason that it it comes, the change. So it's about what He will make us as we submit to Him and His transforming work. And that was certainly true of Peter. I mean, you can just trace it as you look at his life And what a life Peter's was. I mean, what a great character to study. I mean, he's one of my favorite uh, people in all the Bible because I identify so much with him. And you can just trace it from that beginning encounter all the way through those three and a half years and then beyond. It was certainly true of Peter. And just like with his brother Andrew, what Peter experienced in his first encounter with Jesus, can be true for each one of us as well. Praise God for that. Aren't you glad that that Jesus saw beyond what you were when you first met Him? (laughs) And more than that, aren't you glad He didn't leave you the way you were when you first met Him? He didn't didn't just leave you there? And praise to Him for the fact that He continues to work on and transform us with love and grace and patience. He continues that work. That work which He began, He continues to do. Praise Him for that. So that's Andrew's encounter, and that's Peter's first encounter with Jesus. Now I want to draw your attention to the second personal encounter that Peter had with Jesus. And this one is even more significant. This one goes even deeper, and it had even more significant life-changing ramifications. This first encounter with Peter, certainly it made a difference, but he wasn't completely sold yet. He wasn't all in at this point. We know that because of what takes place in this second encounter and the, the background behind it. So look with me at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 is what we're going to focus in on. Luke 5, 1 through 11. Still reading from the CSB. Luke 5, 1 through 11. In verse 1, the Word of God says, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's Word, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's Word, He was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake, and the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he was going to use that as an amplifier, a natural amplifier so that people could hear him as the, as the sound reverberated across the water and bounced off the canyon. So he asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Remember, they had just obviously come back 
from trying to do the exact same thing, and they had already been washing their nets, putting them away for another day's work. Set out into deep water. Let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, They caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Verse 8. Here's the really good part. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. Because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid. Isn't that good to hear? Don't be afraid. Jesus told Simon, from now on, you will be catching people. And here's another really, really good part. Verse 11. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. See, that hadn't happened yet. Simon met him before when Andrew brought him to him, heard this this kind of prophetic name change announcement, proclamation. But he really just still then went back to His regular life, his regular vocation went back to fishing, his fishing business. Maybe he was trying to be a part-time follower at this point. It's possible. Part-time follower of Jesus, full-time fisherman. But he hadn't left at all. He hadn't surrendered. He hadn't really come to Jesus fully yet until this point. But now, when he saw what he saw, Specifically, when he finally saw who Jesus really is, really was. When he started to finally grasp the weight of who this was before him. Then, with that call, I want you to come and follow me and stop catching just fish and start catching people. Then, then he left everything. Then he was all in. He left everything and followed him. And so did James and John, by the way. The sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, partners of Peter and Andrew, who was also a fisherman with him, left everything and followed him. And this encounter, wow, what it shows us, what it teaches us. It shows us and it teaches us what Peter did, what James and John did, that our lives won't change until we realize who we really are and who Jesus really is. Our lives won't change until we realize who we really are and who Jesus really is. Do you want to change in your life? Do you want to experience life change? I'm I'm betting you do. I think we all do. At the core, everyone knows something's missing, something's lacking. I'm not who I should be. I'm not who I want to be. And we search and we look for all these things to make us who we need to be, to make us what we need to be, to bring about the life change that we're all wanting. 
But real, sustained life change is only going to be found in coming to terms with who we really are, with what we really are, which is helpless, hopeless, totally depraved sinners in need of grace. And only when we see ourselves the way we really are, the way God sees us, and then look to Jesus and see who He really is, which is the only remedy, the only answer, the only solution, the only way we can be righteous and have a right standing with God, then life will change. It's what we see happening to Peter here in verse 8 of Luke 5. He finally gets it. He, he looks at Jesus and he sees not just who Jesus is, but he sees himself as he sees Jesus. And Peter's response to Jesus is similar to what is seen throughout the Scriptures. All through Scripture we see this kind of reaction. When people encountered the, the holiness and the glory of God, this is their reaction. They, they see themselves in a different light because they're seeing God in a different light. Think of Job with the whirlwind. He says, oh, wow, did I get it wrong. Man, did I not have a clue. Job says, I, I put my hand over my mouth. I'm not going to say anything more. Because now I see you. My, my ear has heard about you before, but now my eyes sees you and I repent. Think about Isaiah when he sees the vision of the King of Kings, who, by the way, was Jesus. Old Testament vision of Jesus. Isaiah doesn't say, oh, wow, look how pretty. No, he says, woe is me, I'm ruined! Because I'm a person of impurity and sin, and I live among people that are impure and sinful, but my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And Jesus is the pre-incarnate Jesus. What He says to Isaiah in that vision, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And the coal touched His lips. He was cleansed and He said, now that you've seen Me, go and bring others. But every time people see, they come face to face with, they come to terms with the holiness, the righteousness, the, the complete otherness that God is from us. Every time they see that, this is their reaction. Peter's reaction, it's go away from me. You shouldn't be near me. I, I can't be near you. I'm not worthy. I see my sin and I see your holiness and the two don't mix. It's not just a fitting response, though it is fitting. But it's not just a fitting response, church. This response, this response of Peter and, and others before him, it's an absolutely necessary response for all of us to realize how completely opposite and exalted Jesus is from us. We need to realize that. We need to see Him not just for who and what He is, but to see Him as a mirror. As a mirror that clearly shows us who and what we are and why we so desperately need Him. And realizing all of that, that's what makes grace so amazing. When we see ourselves honestly, accurately, needy, poor, broken, 
disgusting in God's sight by our sin, when we see ourselves accurately, and then we see the, the splendor and the beauty and the majesty and the glory and the holiness of Jesus, that makes grace truly amazing. The second thing that this second encounter that Peter had with Jesus, this incredibly significant one, the second thing that that teaches us and shows us is that there's no such thing as a part-time Christian. There's no such thing as a part-time Christian. The passage ends with Peter and Andrew and James and John leaving everything they knew, all that they were familiar with, all that they were comfortable with, their livelihood, the family business. They left it all and followed Him because they realized I can't just do this part-time anymore. There's no such thing as being a part-time follower of Christ. You're either all in or you're not in at all. You're either all in or you're not in at all. And maybe, just maybe, that's your problem today. Maybe that's why you came here and you did the, quote, religious thing like you always do. But up to this point, this, nothing else that you've tried has really made a difference in your life. You, you just, you're really not any different. You want to be different, but so far you haven't been. Maybe this is why, because you're trying to be a part-time Christian. And it just doesn't work. It's not how it was ever meant to be. You're either all in or you're not in at all. In 1519, when Spanish General Cortez landed on the shores of the New World, specifically Mexico, he gave a really unusual order. He gave the order to burn the boats. And he did that so that his men wouldn't be tempted to retreat back to the familiar and the comfortable when their experience in the New World became difficult or dangerous. The only option he wanted them to have was to stay committed and to keep pressing on. Jesus said in Luke 9.62, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Peter, along with James and John, they understood this truth, and they acted on it. That's why they left the nets, they left the boats, and they didn't look back. They left it all. They left their father. They left the business. They left the familiar. They didn't want to just kind of put the boats up where they knew it was going to be and put everything together like they normally would and know it was there. No, they just left it right there on the shore for somebody else. Because like I said before, when it comes to following Jesus, you're either all in or you're not in at all. So, what about you? What about you? What about me? Have you burned your boat? Have you burned your boat? Or are you trying to follow Jesus while still being on board? And unfortunately, the burning of our boats isn't a one-and-done type action. Once we've burned one boat... We just keep building new ones. 
that we're constantly tempted to anchor ourselves to all over again. So, unfortunately, we have to keep burning the boats. We need to follow Peter's example and then keep following it, keep applying it. Because, church, there's simply no such thing as a part-time Christian. So let's not be part-time Christians. Let's be all in. Let's burn the boats. Let's leave the nets behind. Let's go and bring others so that they can come and see what we have come and seen and how we are forever changed by it. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the examples that You provide in Your Word. Thank You for allowing us to come and, and see these encounters through Your Word. Uh, we sometimes say, oh wow, wouldn't it have been nice to be there when? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to, to be there when Jesus said this to so and so? But by Your Word, You've preserved for us these eyewitness accounts that we can look at and go into and, and be right there, as it were. We're able to hear ourselves what Andrew heard from Your Son. We're able to hear what Peter heard. We're able to see, as it were, what they saw. And, and as they were never the same because of their encounters, we too have the ability to never be the same again. Because we can encounter the same Savior they did. What an incredible reality. And it's all because of what You've made possible. So thank You for Your Word, but thank You most of all for Your Son, the living, reigning, returning Lord Jesus. And thank You for by amazing grace drawing us in to encounter Him ourselves. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.